Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. My guest this week is the absolutely gorgeous inside and out Kagi Dunlop. You will know her if you listen to her podcast, Saturn Returns, similar in ways to owning it, and that she explores a lot of ways to look after ourselves and understand our mental health better with brilliant guests from around the world. Here on my show, she shares her experience of anxiety with me. If you watched Made in Chelsea many moons ago, she was the central, I suppose, character in that, even though it was reality. TV and while everything appeared glamorous it was a lot of pressure for someone in her early 20s to deal with and she learned to live with external gratification in mind and really went through quite a few ups and downs of chasing something that she was looking for outside of herself before eventually when she turned 30 she realized that it was really inside that she needed to go. She has some really interesting insights and pearls of wisdom and just beautiful ways of articulating things that I really believe will stick with you. I'm so grateful to Kagi for her time and thank you as always to you, dear listener, for the reviews and shares and feedback and for listening. It means the world. Kagi, thank you so much for being a guest on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. I'm such a huge fan of yours. I have been since I went back and binged, obviously, the show Made in Chelsea. I was like a latecomer to it. I watched it after I had my baby and I just needed like comfort. I adored you. And then I followed you since. And it's it's been so nice to see your career go off in so many different directions. The singing and the poetry is particularly, oh my God, the poem you wrote about being kind. I haven't even let you say hello yet. I'm still talking. That's so sweet. No one ever references my poetry. It's like the thing... That and my music are the things I'm most shy about. Oh, you shouldn't be. I'm getting sent so many poetry books about motherhood, just trying to articulate the experience of it in such a short few lines. And I think in a world that's so saturated with so much over-explanation of things, poetry is having a moment and you are gifted. That's very kind. And I, th- I think, yeah, you're so right. It definitely is having a moment. I think social media has is, is helped with that tremendously. And, but for me, poetry was something I've always done my entire life. It was a way of sort of alchemizing my feelings, what I was going through in a way that I couldn't articulate or couldn't explain. But when I kind of put pen to paper, it would sort of form itself into some kind of meaning. Um, I have, I am not doing it nearly as much as I would like to at the moment. I think as we get older, those things that bring us joy or those like simple pleasures kind of get pushed to the side because we're like okay career career and do you feel like with your career gone very much into like a well-being space does it lose any of its actual wellness power because I feel like self-care has become so commoditized that we've lost the self in the self-care part and sometimes I I find with a lot of people myself included what is meant as the solution to kind of quell our anxieties and stresses becomes something that we're trying to like be really good at. Totally. That's a really interesting point. I think when something becomes popular and then people try and commodify it in some way, then it does like take on this other life. And then 
it's like anything though I think that people people start out doing and it's it's a passion it's an innate calling and then it starts becoming a business and then there Mm. are very real pressures with that I wouldn't say I think sometimes I get a little bit anxious about the fact that this space is blowing up um and not wanting to lose my place in it yeah but I wouldn't say I feel a pressure to be um, spiritual or communicating myself in some kind of way. I think I definitely struggle with communicating myself on social media. It's never felt like a very natural medium for me. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I've spent a lot of time on it, but probably more as a voyeur than like actually yeah. using it to my advantage. And I think that if you, you know, people that can really utilize that medium will excel. And there's a slight concern with that, with things in the wellness or spirituality place, because it's a completely unregulated industry, which is like mad if you think about it. And yeah. like when I first started, you know, working with different people and healers and stuff like that, and a lot of my friends are very heavy in this space and just realizing that actually anyone can just be like, oh, hey, I'm this, my experience is, my school is school of life. And like, that's great. Cause some people just have different healing modalities and they are natural. But at the same time, my concern is that if it's packaged in the right way through the, uh, the lens of social media, um, is that then preying on people's vulnerability? There's a lot of that happening. I remember having this experience when my anxiety was so bad and I didn't understand anything about it. And I, there was no, nobody spoke about it. And I was online, obviously Googling, like, how do I make this go away? As if it was like a virus to get rid of. And I came across these things that was like, do this one thing and you'll never feel anxiety again. And just input your bank details here and I'll unlock the secret. And I went to like these treatments and it was like, one treatment is all it takes. And then you'll walk out of here and you'll never feel anxiety again. And then I would walk out and be like, oh my God, I'm cured. And then later on that day, I'd feel it again and be like, oh, it would make it even worse. And I would think I was beyond repair so broken so I am so wary of that kind of preying on vulnerability but I think yourself and I are just facilitating conversations and hopefully bridging the gap between the experts and the people who need to hear it most absolutely and I think that that is such an an important thing because often this stuff doesn't feel accessible and like you said when you were at that point you go on google and then there's just people trying to sell you crap and these like sort of fast tracks to to healing yourself whereas I think that, like a philosophy of mine I think it's probably the same as yours is we don't need to to fix ourselves like these aspects of being human that are very natural and normal and there's nothing wrong with experiencing these things and also there's just like a whole realm of like experts and and thought leaders that can just help guide but you know what I always try to maintain with the podcast is like I don't want people to follow necessarily what I'm doing. It's to try and like tell the listener that they already know. Let's talk about your experience. I mean, obviously the theme of this podcast is anxiety. Would you say anxiety has always been a feature of your life or? I would never really want to acknowledge my anxiety or or my mental health. I didn't really until I was, until I turned 30. Um, So, you know, we have quite a long time before then well, I would say that it was in my early 20s, you know, I did Made in Chelsea. But before that, it kind of predated that. I was fairly reckless. I would go out a lot. I was, I, I sort of lived for external validation. I think that that's a message that a lot of us can pick up in our sort of teenage years. I wanted to be liked and loved and accepted by all. And my means of doing that was to go out a lot and kind of be a chameleon and just people please but the consequence of that was that you know I I would suffer hugely with in my mental health but I would keep that kind of hidden so I would isolate myself and I would go on this kind of cycle of going out being sort of on all the time and then kind of retreating into myself and I guess throughout my 20s it created this sort of separation between the version of myself I thought I needed to be in the world through you know various conditioning and and various narratives that we we're all like present to 
and then also my sort of true nature. And the more polarized they became, the sort of more anxiety started brewing. And then it was kind of, you know, in my late 20s, I was living in LA and I'd kind of gone to LA with all the other, you know, hopeless dreamers that had these expectations of how things were going to go. And I guess in, in many ways, I was very much driven still by that. Oh, if I'm kind of become this thing, then I'll, I'll feel good. My biggest learning is like, you can't know external things or validation or material objects will make you feel internally amazing. One of the biggest lies in the sort of capitalistic consumeristic culture we live in but I was kind of constantly seeking outside of myself and then when I was there I just I felt very lost I felt very isolated I felt very anxious um I stopped drinking when I was there because it just that was like putting gasoline on on the fire Mm -hmm. and I just didn't know what I was doing in life to be honest but I felt a huge amount of shame in that because I felt like everyone had been sent the handbook of life and mine had been lost in the mail. (laughs) I didn't want to admit that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And that created a lot of shame and that created a lot of anxiety. When you say in your early twenties, when you were going out a lot and having this dichotomy between your, your true self and the version of yourself that you're putting out to the world, how did that anxiety manifest when you did retreat? How did it feel? How did it show up for you? the pattern would be sort of go out, drink a lot to alleviate that feeling that was brewing and it would momentarily go, but it would sort of charge me interest in the morning and the days. (laughs) And then I would often, the anxiety would kind of be um, under the surface, but it would often then become a period of depression. Okay. Almost, I feel like I would almost exhaust myself on anxiety and then like my body would just almost like shut down and so I'd have these periods of melancholy where I wouldn't want to see anyone I would just feel low but I, I again I just didn't share that with anyone I would just sort of hide away what age were you about like in your about 23 24 yes maybe even a bit earlier but I would say it started to speed up around that time because at that time I actually went to it was a time where I kind of was like looking after myself because I would I would sort of oscillate between going out going crazy and then be really regimented I was chasing this like unobtainable version of myself all the time Mm -hmm. that I would never quite reach and so I would kind of oscillate between trying to become it and then ruining it almost like sabotaging and then like okay you have to like you have to be this so it just became this exhausting cycle and there it was a point where I was like had been looking after myself and I ended up going to the priory because I just felt like something wasn't quite right but I didn't know what to do about it I didn't really know what was going on and they sort of said that I was um that I was self-medicating mild depression which wasn't really that much of a surprise but then nothing I didn't really I wouldn't I didn't really address it fully for a few more years I think you probably internalized yourself a lot of the stigma and shame around suffering with your mental health that you were judging yourself for it you weren't gonna you didn't it didn't feel safe enough to share there was the fear of vulnerability is so real and we've all been conditioned and taught especially if you go to LA oh my god where I don't know if you remember if you ever watched The Hills and Kelly Catrone, who was like her book, If You Have to Cry, Go Outside. And at all costs, you hide your vulnerability or else you will never get ahead. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to have like a lobotomy if I'm going to be successful. So being vulnerable was like an absolute no, no. And that fear for me grows arms and legs and becomes so much more because of the anxiety about the anxiety and the fear of well, what does this say about you? Like, would, would people take you seriously? Will will all of your career opportunities just vanish? Exactly. And I think you're, you're so right. LA, I don't think it's any coincidence that I gravitated towards a place like LA, which really sort of exemplifies the, that somewhere that represents the facade of perfection and there's not much room for 
vulnerability. And that's a massive generalization. But when I was there, I remember over like eavesdropping on people's conversation and they just felt really inauthentic and everyone was just like putting up this front because it's this kind of fake it till you make it um, attitude. And I think that perpetuated that feeling for me. And I, you know, now people often message me saying, how can you be comfortable with talking about this stuff and vulnerable. I'm like, it was far more lonely when I wouldn't talk about it. Actually, it feels a lot more grounding to be able to because, yeah, there's a little bit of discomfort because your ego is like, do we want to share that with people? But actually that's what resonates because we all go through similar stuff. And like you said, it's the shame that's created and that's boxed around it that actually lasts a lot longer. Do you remember having a conversation? Like, was there a point in time where you're like, I need to vocalize this? Was there someone that you trusted who you could say, listen, this is how I'm really feeling. I'm really anxious. And did that feel like a bit of a turning point? I'm sure there were moments where, I mean, I do recall like once speaking to my mum about it and the reaction was like not what I expected because it wasn't, it wasn't like I was, I don't know, just living a normal life, working and being really sensible. I was being really reckless and I was going out and I was partying a lot. So a lot of it was sort of self-inflicted. And I think that there wasn't much pity for the fact that, you know, I was, it was self-inflicted. And then I was kind of like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share that anymore. And there were definitely moments in my early twenties when I think some friends were like a bit worried, um, but it was it was more just having the self-awareness at a certain point where I was like, I can kind of see the tracks of this train and where it's going if I don't do something to change it because mm-hmm. it doesn't look very good. And I don't know whether like, you know, addiction is a very complex thing, but, and this is perhaps a controversial thing to say, but I think that there's a whole spectrum of it. And I think that if you, there's, two people that can behave, be behaving in exactly the same way in terms of the lifestyle, going out, partying. But one of them may end up, they can end up in very, very different places based on a whole bunch of different things, their genetics, their psychology, what's going on internally for them. And so we kind of, in society, have this like, oh, it's normal, everyone's doing it. And you don't necessarily know the consequences for one person or another there's a there's a an element of personal sovereignty that has to come into play where you're like I know that this is not gonna be great for me such a fine line with alcohol where it's like oh I'm gonna relax and have this drink I deserve this treat or this reward or this will help me unwind on the other side of the same coin it's like I'm numbing something I'm I am self-medicating and I think it is a little bit of that for everyone it just depends on where I guess, you, like you say, you have to have that sovereignty to know where the line is and if it's impacting you in a way that's going to like you make your mental health worse. But you were living that way for a reason. Did you ever kind of unpack even further? Well, it kind of goes back to what I mentioned about that version of myself that I think I wanted to be because I, I think I remember my mom being like, oh, you're just all so spoiled. You're living this life. And it's true. We kind of were. And I think that Maiden Chelsea was very much a representation of that thing I thought I wanted to be Mm -hmm. that thing that I thought would alleviate those those very human feelings of you know melancholy or or I don't know that like from a very young age I would I would wouldn't describe them then as depressive periods but I would go off and I would write my poetry and and I have I keep them all and all those diaries are very interesting insights into like what I was like as a child and then I wouldn't like mainly Chelsea was a sort of manifestation of what I thought I needed to be to be okay in this world for various reasons and so yeah that just that kind of heightened everything and made everything a bit more polarized. When I spoke to Millie I mean she had such similar stories about it hitting her right at the peak of Made in Chelsea. Was there any awareness among your your friends on the show, your castmates, that it was such an unnatural experience? Reality TV, I would run a million miles from it myself. I wouldn't be able for that many opinions and everything. Was there an awareness that you were all kind of in it together? Yes. I would say that actually there was quite a lot of like 
support, especially at the early days, because we were all genuinely friends. And, you know, I remember like, but I don't think any of us were prepared for what was about to happen. Also, that was kind of like our coming of age was in the public eye. And the nature, look, and don't get me wrong, just to add as a caveat, I was very fortunate to be in that position. It's it's given me a lot of opportunities, but reality TV does come at a price. You know, you, you're exchanging fast fame for something. You lose a little bit of yourself in that. Yeah especially when you're very young. And I remember at the time when the first episode came out and I, I had like, you know, we had to get Twitter and stuff and there were a lot of very amazing things being said, but I just remember one nasty thing and, fo- and focusing on that. And I was with Spencer and Jamie at the time and I was like, look at this. And, and Spencer was like, forget about it. Like, so what? Look at all the other amazing things. And I couldn't let go of that yeah. one nasty thing. And I think that that regardless of reality TV, but just generally in the entertainment industry, it's quite brutal and you have to have a thick skin to do it. And you have to have that conviction in yourself. And I guess I I just don't think I really had that at that age. I just felt very much like I would focus on the negative comment because that probably echoed how I felt about myself and you add the booze and the late nights into that like people are gonna be a little bit anxious I know um so I think we I don't know I can't speak for everyone but you said you spoke to Millie about it and that she she experienced something similar did you ever experience panic attacks so panic attacks and anxiety attacks I I don't I've got friends that do, and I've I've actually been with them when they have there was one there have been two times when I once when I was in LA and I was going through, you know, what I talked about a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. um, I was in a, like a state of panic. I was doing music at the time and I was trying desperately to control things and get things going, but I was just meeting resistance in every way from myself and from other people. And it just felt like I like wasn't sleeping properly and I felt very alone there. And also like in the entertainment industry, there's this sort of, for women especially, this like shelf life and this window of opportunity. And I was only 27, but it felt, or like 28, but it felt like my time was running out. You know, mm. I had that that clock ticking and it, and it was a horrible feeling. And I was working with only men at the time and they didn't really understand it. And it just was like this pressure cooker that exploded one day. I was driving to the studio. I was trying to finish the song that I wanted to release. And I also was like about to come back to LA and I had this feeling of uh, come back to London. I had this feeling of like, I didn't want to come back empty handed. I felt like I was coming back kind of with my tail between my legs. Yeah. That was creating a lot of, and the reality is like no one really, Really cared, but you're like, oh my god, everyone's gonna think I failed. And so I was, yeah, I remember driving and I was then on the phone to my mum and I was crying so much. And then suddenly I my breathing just went and I was sort of hyperventilating and I had to, you know, pull over and just that was a horrible, horrible moment. I don't know whether that was an anxiety attack or a panic attack, but something your body went into fight or flight and was like, you need to pay attention here. Yeah. And it was, I felt totally out of control. So that was one time. And then the other time was interestingly last year, I went to do, it it was a music trip that I went to do in Mexico um, that I kind of went to do quite quietly. And it's, it's a project project that I'm working on. So, but I think there's something in music that definitely now that I've mentioned it, that brings up because probably my perfectionism, but I was working with an amazing producer who's a friend of mine and he's got an incredible work ethic. He's so talented. And also I was like very jet lagged because I'd just flown in from London. My brother was there as well because he was traveling through Mexico. There was like a lot going on. And I just felt this pressure to perform, to deliver with these songs. And, and I felt like I the, that voice in my head it's a bit like if you go to school and you're being bullied and like on the first day they kind of throw something at you or mm-hmm. they steal your lunchbox or whatever and you you're like I'm fine I can handle it but after about a week 
it it gets you. And that's the same with the voices in our head. And I think that we don't acknowledge the connection between how we're communicating to ourselves and then those moments because they're not spoken. So we're like, oh, I just had a an anxiety attack. I don't really know why. It's like, well, how, what thoughts were you feeding yourself at that time? Like, how were you viewing, viewing yourself? What were you saying? And I was probably not being very kind to myself. And we went out for dinner. I think it was like the final night or the second last night. And I could just feel like my heart going and my breathing kind of speeding up. And then like, I was like, just trying to get it under control. And I just looked at, and I looked totally normal. And I just looked at my brother and I was like, I'm not feeling very good. And he was just kind of like, oh, okay. And then like someone started talking. And then I think I got asked a question that was like, something to do with love life and I don't know why it just sent me over the edge and I literally just was like <gasps> okay and then just the tears came the, also the embarrassment because people are like whoa where did that come from and you feel like a four-year-old that can't regulate because you can't actually regulate when that happens and it feels really embarrassing and it's also like you want to be comforted but you don't want to be touched so you and pe- you know that people are like, oh my god, like what do I do? And that then makes it worse. And people yeah. and then if you try and explain what's going on, people, you, it makes you worse because you don't actually have a clue. You're going through it yourself, but then you're worrying about reassuring the people who are with you so that they're not afraid. Yeah, I think also for me that's like a, an element of embarrassment about, yeah. especially as I was kind of, you know, I was with my brother obviously, but then I was with other people that I didn't know that well. And I just was like, oh my God, they're going to think. That's what you're like all the time. Yeah. Like I'm just like, I don't know, just have issues. Yeah. I know. And I, it was because my brother kind of came, I like had to leave where I was in the restaurant and go and like find a space, but I just didn't know, like my phone wasn't working. I didn't like, I would have called one of my friends that experiences something similar, but I couldn't. So I was just totally on my own. And I knew that eventually I was going to have to go back up and join them. And I was like mortified by that. And my brother kind of came, but he just does not that I don't want to say he doesn't understand it, but he's never experienced anything. So he was just like, Oh my God. And then it was kind of, I felt like I was having to explain. And then Luca, the producer that I was out there with, just came down, cool as a cucumber, sat next to me and just, he didn't look at me. He just sat right next to me and he just started doing breath work. And like what I realized, he was like encouraging me to, to, he was guiding me to kind of regulate myself by doing the breathing. And it just, I just started following his breath because every time but with my brother, when I was like calming down and I try and speak <laughs> and it would start back up again. And so it was a really sweet moment, actually, because it was such a helpful thing to do. And it actually just calmed my nervous system back down. Because that's the thing, you when you get that unregulated, it's really, if you don't know what's happening, mm-hmm. you don't have the tools. It is that simple, though. It's just about like, what does my body need right now? How can I bring my body back to neutral? I find people skip that part and they just want to go straight to they're like, what's going on in my life that I need to change? And they quit the job or whatever. And it's like you need to start with the basics first, like bring yourself back to neutral, whether maybe it's as simple as you've had three espressos every day while you're away and you've just completely overstimulated yourself. For me, like I can't drink coffee anymore. Even drinking alcohol will now have that kind of impact on me and so you have to be like okay what if I consume like have I moved my body how have I been thinking and all these things because it's usually a kind of recipe of a lot of different things rather than there being something wrong with you or wrong with your life Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So since you've stepped away from alcohol, I know you're not like completely, you might have a drink the odd time, but in the moments that you would have previously been like going to go out on a night out with the girls and numb yourself, have a good time. You really have to feel your feelings now. You can't really escape from them. How has that been? Has that been a learning experience? Because I think that's really scary sometimes to be, to sit with the sadness, sit with the anxiety, sit with the fear. It is hard, but I'd say that once you like establish that with your friends and they know you for that, it gets a lot easier there are still certain situations where I feel probably most in my head and I find it difficult. And that's perhaps like weddings or big parties like mm-hmm. that. And if I'm feeling like a bit insecure, because I think that that's like what we all reach for, isn't it? It's that kind of, of dark but then I don't know. I think when I, and it's, it's a really interesting thing because I'd say I'm quite unique in the sense that you know, so being sober curious means that I just adopted a more sober lifestyle because I know the consequences of when I drink. And recent, like I had, um, when was it? I went to like a, a big party in France and I, I did have a couple of drinks. And it's interesting how that's still, I don't know, I just have this like, I feel like I have this button that's like a self-destruct button that I don't know if it will ever go it's Mm -hmm. something I have to kind of accept about myself and I think I've always been creative in the ways that I'll press it it's not even necessarily through alcohol like when I stopped drinking for ages I'd press I'd press it in other ways I'd find like I guess it's kind of self-sabotaging maybe have you read Untamed by Glennon Doyle I have read half of it oh my god because I feel like you're quoting word for word like she has a whole thing about buttons and the buttons that we press that are destructive versus the other ones and then just so much of what you're saying I'm like because I'm just almost finished it now I'm like you wrote that book (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of similarities just hearing about her and her whole journey I'm like yeah that resonates I know it's oh she's she's amazing it's I think it's essential reading for everyone what changed then when you turned 30 how why did you decide I'm actually going to really take care of myself now. So I was having, again, these these periods of depression, but they weren't coming as a consequence of drinking. They were just coming. Have you been diagnosed as someone who suffers with periods of depression? No, I've never actually gone to the doctor about it. For me, again, this is just a very personal thing. Yeah. I never wanted to go on any medication because personally for me, and I was, I know that it's crucial for a lot of people and mm-hmm. a lot of friends who are, who are on it but if for me it's like it's been an indicator that something's off rather than it just being and it it's not always been that easy to know that but it's like an internal compass of something being off rather than just a chemical imbalance even though it felt like it's just a chemical imbalance so circumstantial Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Because I mean, that's definitely true for anxiety as well, where you could be suffering and it's like, well, look what's going on in your life right now. It makes so much sense. Of course you are versus times when you're like, I'm having so many panic attacks and like everything is fine. And that can be something that you're like, maybe you just need to like regulate a little bit more. Yeah. And it's also, it's how you're speaking to yourself. When I really kind of trace that back, I was sort of like, oh, there's no rhyme or reason for it. And especially when I stopped drinking for a really long time and I would still get these periods of depression, I felt incredibly short change because it would feel like I was having like a come down, you know, I was sort of wouldn't, was just crying all the time, didn't know what was going on. And it was, 
I'd not, as far as I thought, I hadn't done anything that just warranted that. But I'd actually, if I really looked at it, it was like, well, how have I been speaking to myself the last week? And it, would I ever speak to anyone like that? So it's been a bit of a journey. So when I, I went through a big breakup after my 30th and it's quite a long time after, but I'd already been going to therapy because of the periods of depression. And that really helped because that get, I found, you know, a therapist that really worked for me. And that's a whole journey in itself for people to find someone that, you know, they connect with. And that gave me the sort of support and the infrastructure and the tools to handle things a little bit better. So that when I went through this breakup that happened very, very suddenly, it was literally like in a split second. And I felt like the rug was pulled from underneath me. Luckily I had that safe space with that therapist that I'd been going to every week for like six months prior. And that really helped because she was just there ready and waiting to kind of help me navigate that time. And historically, I probably would have just gone on like a bender and bit, gone into victimhood mode and been really destructive and be like, why has this happened to me? And so I was like, no, I'm actually going to use this to really motivate myself and push myself forward and just focus on me. And I ended up going to Australia for a couple of weeks over Christmas on my own. I lived there before, so I have like loads of friends there and stuff. So it wasn't like I was completely alone, but it was just very grounding. And I just like wanted to focus on my own healing. And then I think starting the Saturn Returns podcast definitely, again, gave me a lot of accountability in my own journey because I was having to live things simultaneously whilst talk about them and I'm sure mm. you've experienced that like you'll speak to people and then or like you'll something will happen in your life and then you'll happen to have a recording with someone and you're like yeah oh, but I can't believe we're having this conversation yeah, but I really needed this I should be charging you for this therapy <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so that was a really kind of beautiful journey and then also I think having the feedback from people and it resonating with them because I was like you know sharing that vulnerability and then them kind of it's like me holding space them holding space it's this kind of beautiful mm -hmm. thing even though it's all done online um but you're kind of connecting with people in that kind of way and then I had this kind of sorry I'm like darting around but I had this um I was dating someone in lockdown who it was really more of a sort of friendship in a way we were there for each other over that very difficult period of time I we were totally mismatched for each other but we were kind of trying to make it work because it was locked down mm -hmm. and very spiritual and I, I was going through a depression a depressive period and he was like your depression is because you're of your com you're comparing yourself all the time and said all these like things that I wasn't I was probably hoping for more sympathy and it was just like no this is why this is what you're doing and we're going to stop it. We ended up doing, we ended up doing a fire ritual <laughs> that he led, which like he made me write down all the things that like we were letting go of. And like we had like a feather and this fire that we made. Honestly, we nearly burnt down my apartment. <laughs> and then like put it in the fire. I, I don't know, like. Did that, it help? Well, that was like a, oh, a year, a year and a half ago. And I haven't actually had one since uh, I don't think it was just that <laughs> but I'm like that's kind of crazy but then also I think um being in the relationship I'm in now definitely has has helped a lot was it scary to go back into a relationship after having had the rug pulled from under you yes it was um and I think like every for everyone it is it's when you've kind of when you've had your heart broken like that and been betrayed it's really hard to kind of get back in the arena you know yeah like love and dating is an arena it's like a gladiator sport I really believe that to be living you have to be willing to be hurt and have pain and it's such a hard thing to do having since having my baby and you know the worry of things going wrong or if he falls and I'm like just think of the worst things and it's like that's the price of admission for the good stuff is the the feeling of potential of what you have to lose 100% it's one it's like the sort of paradox of love like on the other side there's always the possibility of pain we can't bypass that and you have to kind of 
risk it. And that's what makes it so potent and so beautiful and so worth it is because I think deep down we know that, but you just have to know, you just have to try and not let that drive you and let the love and the courage drive you. So what has changed when it comes to like the external validation thing? Like, I mean, I'm sure being a Made in Chelsea, whatever was there beforehand, that put it on speed and then going to LA and maybe feeling pressure to bring back more external proof of your achievements. Where are you with that now? Because that's such a hard core belief to unravel and let go of. It is. And I, I'm not like, I haven't perfected it, but I think awareness in anything is, is the most crucial and key step. The reality is we live in a world that is, we're fed that through every angle. You know, you go on social media, you turn on the news, you turn on TV, whatever it might be. So it's still very real and very present. But I think when I started looking internally, and that probably happened, probably really happened when I started doing therapy. Um, And then I just went on a kind of deep dive. I'd also been on like a retreat when I was 29 that put me on a more spiritual path. That was like Mm -hmm. a really deep dive into all sorts of things I hadn't confronted. So it's kind of been... I guess from 29 up until now, that it's like that reminder that regardless of what's happening, you can come home to yourself. And the, the focus has to be on, on like, let's say liking yourself rather than loving yourself. Because I think sometimes being like, oh, you've got to love yourself so it can feel almost like unobtainable to people. I really struggle. And I think it's really par for the course when you know you're up against these tech giants and you know you're scrolling and of course they're designed to keep you on and on and on and on and want more and all of Instagram and all these ads create this want in you by feeling like you're if you're less than perfect and there's something you can improve upon you're going to buy something and it's all capitalism and it's just mind-blowing really I find it very hard not to get caught up scrolling on my feed and feel like an absolute sack of shit so I'm just curious Do you just avoid that? How do you feel? Because you you mentioned there that the guy you were dating said like social comparison was an issue for you. Where are you at with that now? Well, I think he kind of brought that to my awareness and I was like, oh my God, he's so fucking right. I (laughs) want to admit that. Um, And like, look, I'm guilty of scrolling just like the next person, but it's also like, I have, you have to have that personal sovereignty to be like, okay, like, is this helping me? Am I using this as a tool for inspiration or am I using this as a tool to like beat myself up? And, you know, it, like you said, it's it's a very real thing that it is all orchestrated and designed to make you stay on it. Like we mm-hmm. are essentially the product that's being sold by our attention. We live in an attention economy. So you have to define your own boundaries within that and in your life. And I guess that's like, very Saturnian principles to kind of go back to like the whole Saturn returns journey that you have to have responsibility for yourself. You have to be disciplined in your kind of daily routine and also really like checking in and writing down what you value, what you want success, like what you think success is to you, not like what the the world is telling you, because we live in a world that is constantly feeding you this narrative of not enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not young enough. You're not successful enough. You're not rich enough. You don't have enough friends. You don't have enough followers. That is like what is around us all the time. So you have to have the sovereignty to be like, okay, what does enough look like to me? And that doesn't mean we don't continue to strive for things because we are goal-orientated creatures. It's important to have things that we want to achieve, but we have to learn to be content with where we're at. And that's not something that's fed to us at all, but we have to learn to feed it to ourselves. Mm. Tell me about some of your daily rituals and habits now that put what you've learned in the Saturnian way of thinking into practice for you. It's just very, like for me, it's really important. It's nothing like too esoteric. I mean, I, I do love one of my favorite things is inner compass cards. I mean, there's loads of cards like uh, angel cards, tarot cards, but personally for me, inner compass cards, they just like, I don't know how they do it. I often read them to other people. I read them to my boyfriend. He pulled one the other day. I was like, hmm, interesting. It oft- offers that kind of inflection point where you can really check in with 
where you're at. I find like astrology a very useful tool as well to kind of take us outside of our ourselves a little bit and have an understanding of what's going on in the greater cosmos around us. Getting out in nature, walks, I think also like not bringing your phone and just like walking is always where I find inspiration. It's where I kind of file my thoughts. I try and do some form of exercise in the morning. I'm not going to say that I do it every day. Mm -hmm. I try like if I can do two, three things a week, that really, really helps me. Doing forms of breath work, any moment I'm feeling a bit anxious. I mean, sometimes like I'll be watching a TV show that's quite anxiety inducing. I just like start doing breath work then and there. One of my favorite things to do, I put on Beautiful Chorus, which is, I, could, I guess they're a band, but they their music is very spiritual. It's very mm. healing. And I'll just put that on. I'll light an incense. I'll put some, you know, get some sage or palo santo and just, just be still. Yeah, you're just creating the right environment to then regulate your stress response. You, you're describing the spiritual side and I'm just thinking, well, what's happening on the science side, I suppose, is that you're you're doing whatever you can, what works for you to bring balance into your life. And the more often we do that, the more used to getting back to zero we become and the more we can then pull ourselves back in moments of anxiety and prevent it from spilling over into chaos. Exactly. Because even, let's say if you do like, look, it's not, it might not be, I'm fortunate that I can work from home so I can carve out times in the day. And I understand it's, it's quite hard for people if they have a like super high pressure, intense job to actually find those moments. But I think there's also like a responsibility for people to make sure that um, whoever works for them like is prioritizing their mental health. And if that means going for a walk for 40 minutes, then that should be that should be OK. Also, to kind of go back to what you're saying about how can we self soothe or give ourselves what we need, what I've found really useful over the last couple of years, because sometimes like. I don't know, I just. I find that hard to do, but what I find personally a lot easier is the inner child work. So the awareness of the child in me, which is ever present in all of us at all times, a lot of the time it grabs the driving wheel and that's like what's, you know, coming up. And one of my favorite teachers and friends, Mark Groves always says, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So like, when you kind of have a hysterical response to something that might be quite minor, if you actually trace it back, you're like, okay, there's a lot of history in that. And so for me, when I've had like responses to something, I'm like, when I create a separateness, I can hold space for that version of me. So I can sit with her and I can also in that moment, there's a liberation because I'm like, oh, that feeling is coming up. That emotion is coming up, but it's historical. It's not actually like who I am today. So good. God, you've got some good, wise friends around you. Well, that's from doing the pop. I mean, obviously a lot of them I have just made in the last couple of years because I also, one of the big things I get asked about is people like, how do you find your tribe? Like, how do you Mm -hmm. find your people? And I think that there's often a necessary isolation or point where you feel like you're going alone. And then the right people just kind of gravitate towards you because when you're living in alignment and authentically I I think that they just show up because mm-hmm. it resonates with them it's on their frequency you, you have to finish reading Glennon Doyle's book because she talks a lot about living with integrity and I never thought about it this way before but when you look at the word integrity to come from like integrating and it's integrating the version of yourself that you put out to the world and who you really are and I think we kind of think of integrity as being very good and well-mannered and standing by our word but actually it's about you yourself living like you say in alignment with your values and if you can bring yourself back to your values daily or weekly you won't go too far into chaos and anxiety even if you do I think you just like hit the nail on the head because when you're living in integrity in yourself it does the victory is in the doing it's not dependent or conditional on the outcome And I think we all are guilty of being like, oh, well, I want things to go this way. And so if it doesn't, I'm going to fall apart. But actually, like, if you can kind of check in with yourself and know that you cannot control the outcome, but you you can show up anyway with integrity, that is the victory. And I think that that's when, 
even if things then do kind of go in chaos around you, you're like you're grounded in your knowing because you've lived in accordance with your own values. And I think that that is everything. So well said. So we're probably not going to see you on another reality TV show anytime soon. I would never, ever go back to reality TV, no. I think Made in Chelsea, while it maybe feels now like it was not always something you would do now, was obviously the right thing to do at the time and brought you to where you are. And that's the thing. We don't, we're always changing and evolving. And I think that for people in their 20s, they put a lot of pressure in them, on themselves to have it all figured out or to make the right choices. And actually, it's like... Just just try things out. 20s are for learning and your 30s are for earning, but I'm waiting for my 40s for earning. <laughs> Kagi, I can't thank you enough for being so open and honest and vulnerable with me. It's so nice. I feel like I've known you my whole life chatting to you here. I feel like this we have so many similarities and I wish you the best of luck with Saturn Returns. You've got such incredible guests and you come at it from a place of real genuine authenticity that it's it's only going to get better and better for you so well done thank you so much thank you thank you for having me hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.